Hello, and welcome to the Four Bronx Community Podcast. My name is Laura Levine Pinedo, and I am the founder and the director of the Four Bronx Project. My journey has led me to such amazing neighbors with such interesting stories, and I am ready to share them with you. I invite you to join us as we meet members of our community, such as small business owners and so much more. Let's support local, and let's have a cup of tea together and chat about all things community. Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Four Bronx Community Podcast. Today I am joined by Kara Kagan. Good morning, Kara. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Of course. So Kara Kagan is a writer and musician who has contributed to many national magazines, including W, Self, Shape, Town and Country, Fitness, Glamour, Real Simple, In Style, Harper's Bazaar, and the New York Post Alexa section. She got her start writing style and beauty in the trenches as an editor for the fashion and beauty bible, Women's Wear Daily, and then went on to become beauty and fitness director for both YM and Mode magazines. She is most proud of creating Girl Magazine, the first multicultural and multi-size fashion and beauty magazine for teens. Despite her wild hair, sensible shoes, and decidedly basic fashion sense, she also served as the beauty and fitness director of Elle magazine for several years. In 1990, her grandma, Ruth Applebaum, insisted on inviting Andrew Kagan to her 90th birthday party completely against her wishes. They married in 1992. They have two gray and white rescue kitties, Mouse and Clyde, and live in the Bronx. While she still mainly sings and plays guitar for her cats and guitar teacher, she hopes that one day soon she will finally get up the nerve to perform at an open mic. Good morning. Good morning. I am so excited. I feel like we could speak for three hours just on your career. My <laughs> Lord, every magazine that I used to like peruse in the store, you have been a part of it. But yeah, that was back when there were magazines. <laughs> I used to love magazine subscriptions and I used to read Girl. You read Girl? I did read Girl. Oh my mm-hmm. God, you just made me so happy. That was my favorite project. And we, I mean, I we used to get letters from um, teen psychologists and girls like thanking us so much for representing all body types and all cultural um, groups and it was just a real labor of love to be so inclusive in the fashion industry which had been when I was growing up it was so exclusive you just kind of hoped you would see somebody who looked like you on the pages of the magazines and you know I'm four foot eleven and I'm dark and you know that you did not see me on the pages of magazines so um, we worked really hard to just pull in as many different types of girls that we could find we, most of our models we were teen girls we saw on the streets and you know asked their parents if they could come do a photo shoot with us that is amazing I mean I grew up I was overweight so it was hard to find um you know clothing or fashion inspiration for my body type so I'm just so happy now that it's become more um inclusive of of different folks and um you know I did come from a bit of a private family where we didn't really discuss um you know, personal sexual health and things like that. So I used to lean on magazines like this for, you know, it's basically how I learned how to do this and do that Mm -hmm. and what I should be doing. So thank you so much. So let's get back into your career a little bit. You started out, how did all this like publications come to be? (laughs) Tell us the story. Oh my God, you're so nice. Um, Thank you so much. Uh, So like most people, when I finished with college, I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do with myself at all. And my older brother said to me, you know, 
you write, you're a good writer and you've always loved magazines. Why don't you think about going into magazines and being a journalist? Um, so he actually got me a job at the magazine where he did tech support. And it was the American Lawyer magazine. <laughs> Boring, right? No offense to anybody who reads it that, but it it's was, not L magazine, it right? It's not L magazine. It was really tough. I was a fact checker there, and that gave me just this great background on how to be a journalist. You know, making sure that all my quotes were accurate, all all the reporters' quotes were accurate. I learned how to research, and. Uh, my next job was actually at Marketing Week magazine, which was a business publication, and I convinced them to cover the business of beauty, which was astounding to me. They'd never covered beauty. They did cars and soft drinks and pharmaceuticals, and I just talked my way into, like, oh, I can cover beauty for you, and, and I did celebrity endorsements, too. Like, this was back when everybody was first starting to use, like, Michael Jordan and Michael Jackson and Madonna to, to sell products, and I figured it out. I don't know how I figured it out, but I figured it out, and then Women's Wear Daily actually called me and said, we'd like you to come on board and cover beauty for us, which was thrilling. That was a very thrilling newspaper to work for because it covered all the designers and all the most glamorous people in the world and it was just the last and first word in fashion and beauty the business of fashion and beauty and um, I had a great boss who was the inspiration for one of the characters in, in my new book and uh, the, actually that whole experience is part is inspired part of um, my new book and um, from there, you know, every business writer thinks, oh, I'm going to be great in consumer. That's more glamorous. I want to do that. And it pays a little more. So from there, I got on to YM Magazine as its beauty and fitness director. And covering the teen market was so much fun. And there it really became glaringly obvious to me, like all the things I experienced as a teen, not seeing myself on the pages, you know, and nothing against YM, it was a great magazine and great experience. But I thought I wanted to do my own teen project and really, really be inclusive. So um, the ladies at Mode Magazine, which was the first uh, high fashion plus size. Yeah. <laughs> they approached me to do a teen mode and I said well how about we go one step further and we just don't call out one group of teens the plus size teens how about if we make it reflect the schoolyard which is everybody and make it inclusive instead of exclusive and that's how girl was born and from there I went on to L as their beauty and fitness director and <laughs> that was a little crazy because I'm not high fashion girl at all. I'm just not high fashion. So that was a little rough for me. And then I just, uh, I left there to write a book with my dermatologist. And then I started freelancing for all those other magazines you really graciously listed. And um, yeah, that's the whole magazine thing. <laughs> that is unbelievable. Is it like, is that world a little bit like that movie, The Devil Wears Prada? I w Lauren Weisberger did a great job with that book. She was actually at Vogue. She was an assistant at Vogue. And 
at the time, Vogue magazine actually had a stall in its bathroom reserved for assistants to cry in. And oh my God. <laughs> that's the big mythology, the legend, you know, at Vogue magazine. And I will tell you, um, yes. It is. <laughs> all, all the high fashion pubs at the time, you know, in the 80s and the 90s and probably early 2000s, were really challenging clicky, difficult places to work. Have you met Anna Wintour? I have not met Anna Wintour, and actually Vogue is one, is the only high fashion publication I've never written for. <laughs> well, listen, Vogue, if you're listening to this, get on, get on board. <laughs> so you used to go to like these like fashion shows and, and live that life? I did. That we all want to go to and do? <laughs> you know... Fashion shows back then, I'm not sure how they run now, were really interesting situations in that they were the height of glamour and they were also the height of something I just couldn't stand doing because uh, they would have you wait in the front of this tent in Bryant Park and it was so crowded and all of these high fashion people were pushing and shoving to get into the to the tent to see the show and you know in their high heels and their beautiful clothes and everybody was going to be let in eventually and the show didn't start till people were in their seat and it was just sort of wow that's <laughs> like I couldn't figure that out but my I still remember my first fashion show and I saw it when I was at Women's Wear Daily and it was a Ralph Lauren fashion show and um this was when the supermodels were at their height. So it was Cindy Crawford and Linda Evangelista and Naomi Campbell and, you know, uh, Christy Turlington. And they had so much charisma and the music and the lights. And I think the hair stood up on my arms. I, I probably teared up a little bit. It was so thrilling. Oh, I love that. Oh, my goodness. I wish, like, they had, like, reality TV shows back then, right? That would... <laughs> it would have been a hit. <laughs> you know, you could have done a, a really amazing reality TV show about, like, five different fashion editors, maybe two beauty editors thrown in during fashion weeks. <laughs> that probably would have been pretty hilarious. So there wasn't a reality show at the time to, um, you know track this life you were living but you did decide to write a book that is based on this time that you went through yeah so tell uh, us about this book because I have to read this book <laughs> thanks so much um so it's called the rise fall and return of Sarah Mandelbaum and uh it was inspired inspired by my experiences as a four foot eleven frizzy haired mostly rocker hippie girl trying to succeed in the high fashion magazine publishing industry because really it was like I was a square peg trying to jam myself into a round hole and um you know at the time parts of it all felt really traumatic to me despite the the glamour and the beauty because you know I was never a popular kid in school I was never one of the it girls. And here I was in high fashion magazine publishing, which to me was like being in eighth grade gym class every single day. I did not fit in. And, you know, 
looking back on it now that I am well out of it, a lot of it was really funny. <laughs> like just me trying to, I have terrible feet and I'm trying to wear high heels, you know, because in the 90s, everybody wore these incredibly high heels with super pointy toes for like $800 and they were beautiful shoes and I got, I have bunions on my bunions for, and <laughs> I'm trying to jam my feet into these shoes, you know, to fit in and, and thinking, oh goodness, these $800 shoes are on sale for $400. I should get a pair. Like who pays $400 for a pair of shoes? Um, so, you know, I created this character, Sarah Mandelbaum, who, uh, because my maiden name was Applebaum, I was Kara Applebaum, and um, she sort of, you know, experienced a lot of what I experienced in the industry and then kind of took on this life of her own. She, she totally became her own person. For example, she's a much better musician than I am and much more... Um, uh, technically um, brilliant on guitar than I'll ever be but so she has a lot of elements in me and a lot of her experiences in the book are based on some of the more humorous experiences I had right and in this book the character was living where first so she like I did started out in the East Village with a really crazy roommate and um eventually ends up in Riverdale. Yes. Yeah. Where I live now, she lives on Bailey Avenue and 238th Street in, I envision it, in the apartment building with the lions in yes. the front. Yes, And she commutes back into the city for her job on the 1-9 train. And uh, she was always this snob about leaving the East Village because that's where the music scene is. And... Her best friend and her best friend's twin, the Abernathy twins, happen to live on Bailey Avenue. And when she's, Sarah's having all these roommate troubles, they persuade her to move up to Riverdale, which was parallel to my experiences in Riverdale. My husband grew up in Riverdale and uh, we lived in Manhattan together for quite some time. And then it was time to move and get a bigger space so we didn't kill each other. <laughs> I know that feeling. And I didn't want to live in Riverdale. I thought, oh, it's too far away. It's a difficult commute. And he was hesitant about coming back to his childhood place. And my father-in-law, who lived on Oxford Avenue with my mother-in-law, said, I'll put together the greatest hits of Riverdale for you. And they wanted us close to them. So lo and behold, while we're apartment hunting, they he takes us to the Winston Churchill and we open the apartment door and I see that view in the water and I said, I am sold. And we lived in that apartment for 13 years, uh, very, very happily until I was offered a job in Northern California. And then three after three years, we moved right back to Oxford Avenue and we've been here for another 10 years. Oh my gosh, I love it. So you know Riverdale, like the back of your hand at this point. I know Riverdale and yet I'm constantly discovering new exciting things about it. So it's been, it's been wonderful living here. I'm a huge, just like Sarah Mandelbaum, I'm a huge fan. <laughs> I'm curious, what made you pick that specific building on Bailey Avenue for your book? Was it the Lions? What was it about that building? 
you know, I had never even been to Bailey Avenue, I have to be honest with you. And then I met some friends through mutual friends and saw their apartments in that building a couple of times. And one of my friend's apartments was very spacious and bright and sunny. And I it made an impression on me that you could never get that kind of a value for that kind of space anywhere else you know Brooklyn was is crazy and uh, even Queens has gotten crazy and I you know I don't know Queens that well I although I know Brooklyn it's a little too expensive and seems a little too far away from me for me as does Queens and Staten Island I know nothing about so when I was writing the book I thought well this is this could be a really good place for Sarah to live because she'll be, she's hesitated so long to move out of the East Village. And I want her to be happy where she moves. I, I don't want that to be one of her conflicts because she has so many conflicts. And that building just seemed like it would pleasantly surprise her and she'd feel happy being up in the Bronx. Right. If she wanted a drink, she could always go down to the Punch Bowl on 238th Street <laughs> or the Bronx Ale House. <laughs> exactly. There's a lot. And it's right by the subway. Yes. And it's a clean, it's a quiet kind of family-oriented neighborhood. It's I, I found, have always found it really safe no matter what time, you know, I'm walking around. I used to walk around to see my friends. So seemed like a good place for Sarah. Right. Um, and also, she could just walk up the stairs there to Ambilbach. Have you been there? You know, we go to Ambilbach. We have a friend who performs there quite regularly. So, you know, that's that's part of the community that we really enjoy. They have very good live music. The people who own it and serve there are really great people. It's It's a really nice vibe, and so much of the community gathers there. And you yourself, you're a musician, but you're scared to do an open mic? That is correct. Well, I'm double dog daring you <laughs> that you're going to do an open mic here in Riverdale. I'm going to find it for you. They have it at Ambiel, don't they? I think they have it at Ambiel. You know, most of the time, our, my our, our friend who plays there is scheduled to play there because she's pretty, pretty established. Um, I have not explored the open mics there because I, I'm, I'm too chicken to You're too do chicken. open mics. And watch you get on there and just play like Jimi Hendrix. Probably not, but he was left-handed like I am. Okay. Except he played his guitars upside down rather than a lefty guitar because he was brilliant. Now, going back to the beauty, um, you have so much experience of beauty and lifestyle and fitness. What are some tips that you can provide us that are just, and like, there's no time gap. They're just, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, I don't want to say seamless, but just general beauty tips that the times don't change. It's just, what what am I trying to say? Yeah. Try and true. Tried and true beauty tips. So this is not that exciting, but it's really important. So to me and to many other beauty industry experts, the best thing you can do is take care of your skin. And if you have the best skin you can possibly have, whatever else you do to yourself is kind of like the ice cream on top of the apple pie. It's the a la mode. So taking care of your skin means you wear sunscreen. So you don't spot, you don't sag, you don't uh, get broken capillaries. Hopefully you don't get skin cancer. 
and you use products geared to your skin type, a lot of things that happen, especially to women when we get into our 20s and 30s, we're so used to having oily skin as a teen and treating acne, we kind of over cleanse, we over strip, you know, and, and as we get a little older, we want to start thinking about adding moisture into the skin, but um, not overdoing it with scrubs and not overdoing it with uh, astringents. And I think if you have great skin and great skin care, anything else you do to yourself just enhances yourself. Right. And what do you think like makeup? Is there just like a, like a lipstick color that just sticks out to you? You know, over the years that I have read a million times, there's a red lipstick for everybody. I do not feel there is a red lipstick for everybody. I think that, I think the most important thing is you pick a lipstick color that you feel confident in. And if you don't feel confident in red, then you're not going to look that great in it. You know, so it's, it's going for looks that make you think, Hey, I look great. And, and give you confidence versus what's the trend. What's this? You know, I see all these young women with the most gorgeous fake eyelashes. They are fake and they look beautiful and they feel great about themselves. Would I feel confident wearing those, you know, extensions? Probably not. My eyes get really easily irritated and I might feel like, oh, it's a little bit much for me. But people put rhinestones on their eyelids and they look beautiful because they feel good in it. So I think it's just finding what what you feel makes you feel the best about yourself. Right. I do I do wear fake lashes, but I don't like permanent. I like to take it off at the end of the night. Mm-hmm. But I will say, if I have makeup or not, like the lash makes a difference for me. Like, I feel like when I have a lash on, it just pulls it all together. It makes my face look different. I, I think lashes are gorgeous, and I'm actually experimenting with those lash growth serums to see if I can boost mine a little bit without the idea of putting things on, taking them off. You know, I the, honestly, I'm so low maintenance after all my years of just doing things to myself and trying every trend. It's it's kind of nice to not be directly involved in the industry so I can sort of kick back and be a little bit more minimal. Right. And now overall, like the publications industry, the magazines, business has gone down, right? With the rise of technology and smartphones and I would love to see, I, I mean, there's something nice about buying a magazine and opening it and reading it and the perfume samples and, you know, all these things we used to do. Like, do you think it's ever going to come back? I hope so. I, listen, vinyl records came back and that was really thrilling. Even tape cassettes, which were the most inconvenient form of listening to music, you know, are back and, and the few record stores that are cropping up over the city are doing very well and they sell tapes, um, which is sort of amazing. And new, um, not new, but musicians are now producing records again. So it stands to reason that print publishing could come back. You know, there's this whole trend of uh, Gen Z and younger and even younger millennials using technology that's um, low tech versus high tech. Flip phones are coming back in style so people can get off their uh, social medias and regular cameras are being used instead of phones. So, you know, if if people are trying to 
unplug from technology, I think that print publishing stands a, gr- a great chance. And I was just uh, reading on LinkedIn that Saveur magazine, which is a cooking lifestyle luxury brand, has resumed print publishing. They're starting with only two a year, but they're going to see how it goes. So uh, there are sort of stirrings that maybe we'll see a bit of a renaissance. I don't think it'll ever go back to, you know, how many magazines there were, that everything was every month. But I think we're going to see more and more publications dipping their toe back into print. Right. I mean, I used to love when my grandmother would go to Ireland for vacation. She'd bring me back a Cosmo Girl UK. I would love to see like the different cultures, even though I couldn't buy anything in there. You know, it's just so, I just miss those days. Yeah. I do too. When, when I was a teen and in my twenties, my girlfriends and I would buy stacks of like the September issue and we'd sit around together going over thing like, Ooh, we should, we should try a puffer jacket or we should try green eyeliner, you know? And, and it was, a we go to the drugstore and rip the pages out of the magazines and, it was God, the good old del- days. Delightful, right? And the perfume samples and uh, that you mentioned. Right. You know, you would just, that's how you wore perfume is you'd collect all the samples and rub and them on your it. wrist. They're like, what are you wearing? I'm like, Gucci, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I have a different perfume for every day. I remember looking at Cosmo as like a 15. They're like, what do men look for in a woman? And I'm like, oh my God, I have to, I have to do all these things. This is what they're looking for. It's just such a good time. What a time to be alive, guys. <laughs> I feel sorry for the youngins. I will never experience this. Um, so you are living in Riverdale for the last 10 years again, currently. Yes. So all together, you said 13 before? Yeah, so 23 years total for me, and my husband uh, moved here when he was two. So um, he, and he went to college uh, locally, so he was in Queens for a little while, he was in Brooklyn for a little while, we were in Manhattan for a couple years, but most of his life he has lived in Riverdale. Right. Um, What are some businesses that you would like to shout out, some people that you've met along the way that you want to shout out? Tell us a little bit about your experience in Riverdale. So um, this is not quite in Riverdale, but I have to say we are a huge fan of the New York Botanical Gardens and it's so close and we are members and we go five or six times a year. And that has been one of the huge gifts of living in Riverdale that we're so close to um, the garden. We really, really enjoy that. We are uh, very frequent diners at Jake's Steakhouse. We probably have most of our celebrations at Jake's. What do you get when you go there? We get the ribeye for two, usually for three people because it's they are very generous with their portions, but I mean, we have been going to Jake's for 23 years, and uh, it has never disappointed us. And um, my, I have recently found good medical doctors here, and I'm trying to transition my care out of Manhattan to Riverdale because it's so much more convenient. My podiatrist, Robert Friedman, is here. He's amazing. And my ophthalmologist, Stephen Oderick, is here. And he's fantastic. And they're all about four blocks away from my house, which is stunning that we can get that kind of medical care, you know, in a in a borough. I put borough in quotes because it's my home, so it's not a borough, um, up here. And um, 
I love all the parks. We have more parks than, you know, I think most other places do in a very small radius. You know, there's Seton Park and Henry Hudson Park. And, you know, I, I walk around a lot and through the parks I take walks. I walk through Fieldston, which is beautiful. Indian Pond. I love it. So beautiful. And there was an egret who lived there for about three summers, this very chill egret. And I love watching the turtles. I pretty much go several times a week and I take a picture of it each time I go so I can chart how the pond looks different during the different seasons. And I love that. Yeah, it's incredible. That Indian You should make like a calendar. Mm, maybe. I love that pond. I love the <laughs> turtles and they're like chilling on the rocks. I love it. Very calming, very beautiful place. Um, now, I do want to shout out somebody that you've met. The reason you're here, uh, Virginia Crompinger, good friend of both of ours. You know what? I didn't get to think I got to mention people specifically, but... I was lucky enough to meet Virginia at um, the flu shots this year. You know, our uh, we uh, our city state assemblyman um, offered free flu shots at St. Gabriel's this year, which is another part of the community that I love. Is that we have so many resources and yes. community resources. Um, our elected representatives really take care of the community. They're very involved. When I have issues like a burnt out street lamp or the public toilets in the parks aren't functioning, they're taken care of very quickly when I email the offices. But Virginia was at the flu shot and we started chatting and she's so warm and friendly and we met for coffee at Artisanal, which is sort of new and it's a great coffee place. Right. They had homemade uh, ginger tea with actual ginger floating in it. I was very pleased. And yeah, so Virginia's a new friend and um, that's how I got to meet you. Yeah, she's wonderful. amazing. She's like, you have to do Kara Kagan. She's amazing. You're not going to want to let her out of that office. You're going to be talking all <laughs> afternoon. So I said, yes. And then I reached out to you and you were so excited to be part of this and, and you know, talk about your experience here in the book. Um, overall, what is one thing that you really love about Riverdale in general? And what's one thing that you would like to see change or something that we can improve on? I, wow, there's so much I love about Riverdale. I, I really love the sense of community and how mixed we are. You know, we're really ethnically diverse. I, and I feel like we all take care of each other in this community, that it's a, it's a real community. Um, and of course I love how close it is to Manhattan, but I love how close it is to Westchester too. So, you know, I just feel content and taken care of here. And like, I also can be a part of things like we're very well informed so I can participate and be involved in the community. What I would like to see change is something that's happening all over the country, but I feel like it's very hard for small independent businesses to stay in business here, that we have become sort of a chain retail place. Absolutely. We miss Mother's Bakery. We miss Mr. Lee's Fish Market. Um, Palumbo Bakery oh, man. closed, even though it's artisanal now, which is a nice place. So. Personally, for me, I'd like to see small businesses given more incentives 
to open here and for maybe perhaps the real estate companies to get uh, incentives for lowering their rents versus tax breaks for keeping their storefronts closed. Um, to bring back a little bit more of our um, flavor, you know, our community flavor that we we had right. you know, years ago. Absolutely. Like there is a business, I'm not going to mention it, but it's down on Broadway, um, opened like four or five months ago and it's already out of business. Wow. The rent was $7,000 a month. Like who, who can afford that? And it's not the biggest place. So, you know, I, I think I totally agree. I think we need to fight and support and encourage local businesses to, you know, keep going and open up. And it's nice when we have, you know, Palombo's was sitting empty for so long, right? So long. Before Artisan took it over. And now it's great. And it makes, it's a community space too, you know? So people want to open businesses, but unfortunately it's just so difficult to do that nowadays. So yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, what's your favorite perfume? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ask her all these beauty questions. So funny. So I don't wear perfume at all because it makes me insane. Like I smell it on other people and I think, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. And then I put it on and I, I can't stand myself. So what I've used for years is um, Fresh, the um, bath and body company and speaker yes. company, has a body lotion called Lemon Sugar Body Lotion, and I love it. It's very lightly fragranced. It's kind of um, citrusy, but yet um, my friends tell me I smell like the ocean and the beach when I wear it. So um, Lemon cookie. we got to look into that. Lemon sugar. Lemon sugar. I'm like yeah. cookie. I'm hungry. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Sunday morning. We need to go for brunch. Yes. <laughs> awesome. And what's your favorite foundation? I, you know, I'm in the process of finding a new one because Tom Ford used to make my foundation and it was really beautiful and the company recent reformulated. So, um, I'm sort of trying to figure that all out. What I like to do the best is spot conceal. I don't really wear an overall foundation, so I'll get my skin really moisturized, sometimes with a facial oil, and then I will sort of dot on the Tom Ford uh, matte concealer, like around my nose and mouth where there's redness, and if I have any, like, uh, spots and um, I think that gives a more natural look than just applying a face full of foundation and that's something I've always done right now if someone is like on a budget cannot do this and they're going to the CVS what is the best makeup brand on a budget do you think you know I think each line in drugstores have something that really recommends them. So people have always recommended Maybelline mascara. I personally like CoverGirl Lash Out mascara a little okay. bit better. I like a softer lash. I don't like, uh, I would sacrifice length for volume and softness. And I, I think that um, CoverGirl Lash Out does that a little bit better. I think that L'Oreal has always done great lip colors and uh, lip glosses. And I, I think that in terms of powders, powder blushes, powder eyeshadows, Revlon does a great job. Yeah, so there's, there's different options for all budgets. Um, I remember, do you remember, do you remember the tights in the egg? 
in the in the drugstores. Are you talking about legs? Legs. I used to love because my mother always used to buy those, and I always used to. It used to be like in a rack, right? Yeah. I would like mix them up, and she'd get so mad. I used to thought they were eggs from like a you know you turn a quarter machine and the thing comes out. Yeah. No. Yeah. You know legs and Hanes pantyhose in the drugstores when I was growing up were like if you could get those because they were a little expensive. You know, when I was thirteen, we all started wearing sheer pantyhose instead of tights and you know for the bar and bat mitzvahs with our dresses and we would just beg our moms for legs or hanes because they were the really sophisticated brands versus like the Rite Aid brand of right. pantyhose. I think of Tina Turner. Tina Turner? Tina Turner. <laughs> <laughs> well, she had great legs. She didn't need anything. Yeah, just she, she, she had great legs. Yeah, no, I just that's just a memory I just wanted to share with you. I personally think the best thing that we did all overall was make bring back the style of natural eyebrows. Because some of those eyebrows in the 90s were just like pencil thin. That was the style back then, right? I, I can't even tell you the number of makeup artists I would meet with, you know, they were launching their own makeup lines who would pull out all my eyebrows in the 90s. And I am so lucky that as many grew back as they did. I had a friend, she was the beauty director of Mademoiselle and later Glamour magazines, who sat in somebody's chair and they literally pulled out almost all of her eyebrows and her left eye and she ran out and wouldn't let them do the right eye. I mean, it was crazy how thin eyebrows got. Right, right. Um, what would your advice be to a young author who wants to um, start writing and start putting their work out there? You know, I think you have to just make peace with the fact, all of us, that we're writing for ourselves and the satisfaction of writing because it is super hard to get published. And, and you have to, I think... Just keep persisting and keep persisting and trying different things until you achieve your goal. And maybe that's adjusting your, your goal like, oh, I'm going to get a major agent. Okay, maybe I'm not going to get a major agent because I'm a first-time writer. Or, oh, I'm going to get a huge publishing deal. Well, maybe not. I'm a first-time writer. And, and just keep trying and keep putting yourself out there no matter how much rejection you may face because you really only need one person to believe in you and you know and that was my experience i i got a lot of rejections from agents and i just kept on going you know eventually i took all the rejections and i did a major revise of my manuscript and then i got an offer from you know wild rose to publish my book but I just had to keep going, you know, and now I have to promote myself and I get a lot of rejections again and you just have to keep trying and doing and asking for help. That's another really important thing to do um, in, until things happen for you because one thing is for sure is if you don't keep trying, they won't happen. Right, just keep being persistent and it will eventually happen. Who was the first person to truly believe in you? Um. Oh, goodness. You know, I think it it was my husband who was saying, go ahead, write your book and, and put yourself out there. And I had um, a lot of support for my creative writing workshops. I went to Gotham Creative Writing Workshop and Catapult. And my classes there kept saying to me, just keep going, just keep going. This is a really great manuscript. 
you know, you will do this. And then my editor at Wild Rose, uh, Leah, she wrote me, you know, after a year of a lot of rejection, she wrote me, you know, after she received the first 10 pages of my book, which is what many people want you to submit. I want to read more. Tell me more. I, I, she got Sarah. She really, really got Sarah. And if, you know, I had given up, I, I would never have had Leah in my life believing in me and encouraging me and, you know, having the company publish me. That's amazing. So I think if you believe in yourself and something you're doing, keep going, keep going. And eventually it may not be the right time and don't get discouraged. Just keep going, right? Ex- keep going. And it may not be how you initially thought it would be, but be flexible and welcome, you know, support into your life in whatever form it manifests itself. Right. So my goal for, cause we're heading into the new year now, I would love to get you into our office space to do like a reading of your book and open it to the public. I don't know if you would like to do. I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. No, are you kidding? I would love that. So we're wow. gonna we're gonna make a flyer and, and get that going, and that's something that we're gonna bring in 2024. Uh, that would be amazing and wonderful. Thank you so much. Sarah is that. really coming to Riverdale now. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, is there anything you else would, you would like to add? Um. No, I just really want to thank you for this opportunity and, um, you know, let people know that I am completely available if they have book clubs or um, book groups that they would like me to be a part of and come talk to them um, or other community events if you need someone to volunteer and and read or if you just need someone to be active and volunteer at a community event to please reach out to me. Are you sure about that? Because yeah. we have a lot of community events here. And you're going to block me. I'm going to call you every day. We need you. We need you. That's so awesome that you want to become involved. And, and the most important question, where can we find this book if we want to purchase a copy? Oh, thank you so much. So um, The Rise, Fall, and Return of Sarah Mandelbaum is actually on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com. And I want to give a shout out to Bookshop.org because every purchase made on that particular um website uh, benefits into independent bookstores. Love that. Uh, now, you know that there is a bookstore kiosk that now opened in Bay Plaza Mall. I did, did you hear not? that? It's called no. Bronx Bound Books. Fantastic. Yes. And um, yeah, no, it's great. She's amazing. And I think take a trip down there. She's awesome. Because there was no bookstore. They got rid of our Barnes & Noble. Yes. And so there was like such a lack of bookstores. And I know that that um, LaVita is like trying really, really hard to bring this back to the Bronx. And so far it's been very successful. Uh, you know what I would love after um, we are done with the podcast, if you could write down the information for me or text me or something or I'll, I'll just get it from you before Absolutely, I go. yeah. So. That's great. Well, Kara Kagan, I want to thank you so much for joining us on this community podcast and until next time. Well, friends, that wraps up another episode of the Four Bronx Community Podcast. If you would like to be a guest on the podcast, email me today at laura4bronx at gmail.com. Join us next time.